uh, verses I'd like to go to tonight is Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. We're going to talk about persistent prayer. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jen was ministering on persistence and perseverance, and, um, and you know, I'm just so blessed, Pastor Jen, to just sit and listen to the Word of God underneath your ministry. It's just really been encouraging and um, just very, very rich. And so I appreciate uh, your faithfulness and you and Clayton and, and um, just letting God use you. So, amen. In um, Luke chapter 18, we see this parable of the, the widow. And she has to go before this judge. And um, looking again at verse 1 here. Jesus starts out and he says, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, or there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And God shall not and God shall not avenge his own, or shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, this particular parable has, to me, has a few oxymorons going on in there. Because, first of all, it's telling us um, to pray, to be persistent, um, to not give up. But then it says, you know, God will avenge you speedily. So if God avenges you speedily, why do you need to have that persistent praying and persistent lifestyle of prayer? And then, of course, we see the judge. You know, there's this unjust judge who doesn't fear God, doesn't regard man. So that kind of warrants in this parable the persistence of her inquiry. But yet, the true judge is a just judge who loves us, who bears long with us, and promises that he will avenge us speedily. We see this parable start out talking about prayer. Men ought to pray and not, and not grow faint. But at the end, it puts the emphasis on will there be faith on the earth when Jesus comes back. And then it starts out with a focus on this widow and her petition. But Jesus doesn't say pay attention to what the widow does, he says, hear what the unjust judge says. 
So he switches the focus a little bit. Now, I'm not going to go and leave you hanging here. So <laughs> I'm going to try to figure all this out, put it all together here. But in this, you know, truth sometimes in scriptures is kind of like, it's like there's layers of truth, you know, and you, you get the top layer and then you peel that back and then there's like another layer. None of it contradicts itself and only God can do that. And uh, the more that you meditate on things, sometimes the, the more layers you get of truth in this. So right on the surface, we see the very first thing that Jesus said that we ought to pray and not lose heart. There has to be this continual consistency in our prayer life. And we've got verses in the Bible, like in 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4, where it says that um, we should pray without ceasing. And many times in the scriptures, uh, Paul says, you know, continue in prayer. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer. Watch in the same, watch in the same with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6.18, it says, pray always with all prayer and supplication, watching thereunto with all perseverance for the saints. So you see a message here that pertains to us is that prayer is something that we do have to stay consistent and persistent. And sometimes when our answers don't come right away or we don't see things change, we shouldn't give up. we got to keep pressing in, keep praying. But that kind of confuses us, especially if you come from a word of faith movement where you have to believe that you receive and you will have what you prayed for. So if you believe that you receive it, then why do you keep praying for it? That doesn't make sense either. So these, these two things kind of have a little bit of a, of a clash with one another. But look with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Now, verse 24 is the one that we like to say a lot and basically it's the therefore I say unto you whatever things you ask when you pray believe that you receive them and you shall have them but there's a little bit more ahead of this and it starts out in 22 it says have faith in God or have a God kind of faith for assuredly I say to you whoever shall say to this mountain be thou removed be thou cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So before you get to verse 24, where you're receiving it, there's a, there's a little bit of a process that takes place. First of all, there's a mountain. Now sometimes you don't even know you're up against the mountain. Sometimes you're praying for things, sometimes you're trying to do some things, and you hit this wall and things aren't working out and you don't know what it is. And so part of this praying and watching and being in prayer and being persistent is God's working through that to show you where the hindrance is. What is the mountain? And then when you finally see the mountain, then you got to start talking to the mountain. What do you say to the mountain? 
Well, you've got to find some promises, some provisions in God's word that you can say to that. But also, in the process of doing that, you know, you've got to cast that mountain into the sea. Now, if that mountain is something that's in your life, and that's always been in your life, and that, you know, my, my mom was that way, my dad was that way, my grandma was that way, I guess I'm that way, or this is, you know, this is the neighborhood I live in, or this is the family I'm in, or this is the street I live on, or this is my weakness, and this is my struggle. See, all of that can be a mountain that is just in your way. And sometimes when you're trying to get to those mountains, it takes some real digging in. It takes some, some yielding. It takes some dying. It takes some surrendering because you gotta get to, you got to see this mountain. And the mountain has always been there. You may not have really recognized it's there. You've gotten so used to it that you're always you know, used to walking all the way around it. I got to go over there, but I'm going to have to walk three and a half miles this way to get a, a half a mile that way. And you get used to that. And a lot of times we get too used to those mountains. And God's like, you know, Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24, folks, come on. You can do something about this mountain. So you identify that mountain. You begin to speak to that mountain. But now you've got to change the way you look at that mountain. That mountain, you might have gotten used to going around it, and, it, and you've, be, you've kind of adapted your life. You, change, you got used to that scenery. You got used to having to deal with your emotions a certain way. You got used to talking a certain way. You got used to certain habits, certain patterns, certain routines that used to be that trip around that mountain. You know, when that man was uh, crippled and he would go to the pool of Bethesda and whenever the angel would come and begin to move that water, they, they had to make a mad dash to get in there. Kind of funny that a crippled guy was trying to be the first one in there. <laughs> but he was hopeful. But, you know, he couldn't get in there. And Jesus came to him and started talking to him. And he goes, you know, I want to get in there so bad, but everybody beats me to the pool. And now Jesus asks him a question. And I think it's kind of a funny question. Because he says, do you want to be healed? Like, uh, yeah, I'm here. The, <laughs> I'm here to get healed. I just can't get in the water fast enough. But, but Jesus was trying to get to a root of something. Do you really want to live a life where now you have to walk? Where now you can't rely upon others. You can't rely upon certain feelings or emotions or, or situations to, to always have to make things work for you. Now you got to get up and you got to make it happen for yourself. Was he ready for that? You know, sometimes we're... How many of you are praying for an increase? How many of you would like to be more blessed on your job? Okay. How many of you are praying that you get more responsibility and more work dumped on your desk? <laughs> I didn't, nobody's hand went up on that one. <laughs> How many of you would like to face more challenges and fight more devils on your job? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. But you see, 
when you start to increase and God starts to do things, the devil's going to come. He's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy. So, you know, we want, we want the fullness, but sometimes we want to avoid the cost or the preparation. And so that persistent prayer is really working in us to prepare us, to get us ready for what God is doing ahead. It's helping us to break down some barriers in our will. It's helping us to go deeper in God. It's helping us to, for God to speak to us, to renew our mind, to change the way we think, to change our attitude about different things. See, God first has to move the mountain in us before he moves the mountain in front of us. And if you can't see yourself, and this is how powerful your imagination is, but if you can't see yourself being free of something, then you still need to pray and get to the root of that. You know, unfortunately, guys that are on the streets getting in trouble, and they go to jail, they get put into prison, they're out of that environment, they get jailhouse uh, salvation or religion, as they call it, and they get on fire for the Lord, and then they let them out, and they get back in the street. And the problem is they haven't changed the way they think. They can't see how they can live on the streets the same way they live for God in prison. And it's stuck in their head. So that mind has to be renewed. Some things have to be surrendered. The power of God has to erase some things deep in their soul. Take some of those things, those programs, those imprints, those images out of them so they can be free. So that's part of this persistent prayer. Because here he talks about, you know, first you got to speak to this mountain, then you got to remove this mountain, you got to believe that the mountain's going to listen to you when you talk to it, and that it's going to obey you, and it's going to go to a place that's out of your way, and it won't even be there anymore. And when you've accomplished all that, then you get into this whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. See, then that faith can connect a little bit stronger, a little bit better. But there might have been hours of prayer before that on your knees seeking God. You may have prayed for things, and then God says, you know what? Yes, I want to do this. Yes, I've provided this. Yes, it's available to you. But let's first clean house. And then once that house is cleaned out, wow, faith just for something just becomes very easy. It just connects right away. You know, some people, like when I got saved, I was in a lifestyle of, of smoking dope and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And so when I got saved, I got the revelation that God loves me and he forgives me and he wants to help me. And God was no longer a million miles away. He was like right there. It was like, wow, this is, this is cool. But I couldn't picture myself not getting high. I couldn't picture myself not drinking. I mean, as a matter of fact, when I would sit down and have my devotions, I would have a brandy and a, and a Coke. And here I am, you know, reading my Bible like that. And it took God a while to begin to get to that, get to that area. And I, I, I'll never forget the day. I was in a... It was about six months later. I was struggling. You know, I'd go out to parties, come home, get on my knees, say, God, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. you got to help me. you got to set me free. And then by the end of the week, I'd be back out doing it again. But one, one night, we were in a church service. 
and it was an evangelist it was who prays for people to get delivered and and I I was there with my mom and my sister and we we're like we're gonna get delivered of smoking cigarettes I'm gonna give up my cigarettes <laughs> gotta quit that that those cigarettes but so there I am it's I've sit through the message the altar call come on up if you want to get set free and the voice, this is the first time I heard God speak to me. And he said, what about your weed? I'm like, oh, no, not, not my weed. <laughs> you take my weed away, how am I going to have fun? That's what I, how am I going to have fun? See, I couldn't picture that. My conscience convicted me. I knew what was right and wrong. But in my, the picture in my mind was still me getting high. As a matter of fact... The day before we went to this meeting, I went over to my friend's house. A bunch of kids came over. We all sat in the big circle. Somebody pulled out the pipe, started passing it around, and when it got to me, I smoked it. That was the day before. But that night, when God began to deal with me, he had to change my image. He could have said, Nick, you are a rebellious, stubborn little brat. When are you going to obey? Well, that wouldn't have changed anything. But what he did is he spoke to me, I made you, you have to believe that I can give you fun because I know it's best. And then a realization came. Here I was smoking weed to get high, but all I needed to do is get close to God because he's the most high. Hallelujah. And so it just hit me like, I, a, a different picture came inside of me. I said, okay. So I went up. And you know it's real when God touches you and you're a 17-year-old cool teenager, you know, and all that, and you're crying in front of girls. You know this is real. <laughs> and I am crying away like a baby. But God was doing something. The next day, I went over to my friend's house. Same group of kids came, came on over. Everybody sat in the big circle, pulled out the pipe, and I'm watching it, it's coming my way, comes to me, and I just push my hand on I said, I don't need it anymore. Night and day. But it was, God had to break that in me first, and I had to let go of that, and then the change took place. And so sometimes when people get saved, you know, that image is broken right away, they can just go, boom. And some people might just take a little bit longer. But in either case, you got to just keep praying persistently, seeking after God, and, uh, and he will get you to where you need to go. So here in Mark, you see, you know, sometimes we, we overlook that process, and that's where that persistent prayer takes place. And then also in that persistent prayer, we go through preparation. You know, what God wants to prepare us. He wants to enlarge our heart. He wants to enlarge our borders. He wants us to be able to be willing to change and, and take on certain things. And so, he, so through this time of prayer, he's expanding who we are on the inside to prepare what he wants to give to us on the outside. And so we just continue to grow in that. And then there's, there's an increase of the anointing. And also in... in increasing of the anointing I call it like letting the bread rise and you know there's that parable of Jesus talked about where where there was a friend who was at home and somebody came to his house and said hey I've been on a long journey you'll find this in Luke chapter 11 he says I'm on a long journey and I need some food 
And the guy at that house, he's like, you know, I, I ate all my food today. You know, they don't, they don't have refrigerators. They don't have pantries. They, they make it that day, and then they eat it, and then they start over the next day again. And he didn't have any bread. But his friend needed bread, but he didn't have the bread. But he said, you know what, I know somebody who has the bread. So I'm going to go to this guy who has the bread. But the guy that has the bread, he doesn't want to get out of bed. He says, don't bother me. I'm in my bed. But the guy persistently keeps praying. I want to help this guy over here. I don't have what I need. You have what I need. Release what you have to me so that I'll have it so I can give it to them. And that's intercession. And that's sowing into the Spirit and letting yourself receive anointings and graces and abilities where you can be a, a, an able minister to others. And that's, again, part of that persistent prayer that has to take place. But then, and then Paul, you know, he, when he prayed for others, you know, here he went to Galatia. And he got them all, you know, got a church going, got them saved. They were all on fire for the Lord. And then these uh, Jewish uh, Judaizers came in there, got them all messed up, distracted, back in the law. And they were all confused in their faith. And they didn't understand how this worked. And they were trying to serve God out of the law. And it just, Paul's like, who bewitched you? And he said in Galatians chapter 4, he says, I again am travailing in birth until Christ be formed in you. So sometimes in that persistent prayer, you have to just really focus in on somebody and pray for them. And, and you know, God will put somebody in your heart, and, and you might pray for them. And I remember um, after we got saved and, and so forth, my mom, um, she drifted back into the world. And she was going back to bars and doing, doing stuff and hanging, and, you know, just living in sin. And it was just hard. And I, I'd be praying for her and praying for her. And... Um, and I just seek the Lord, and, and there was a time, and I just remember it so clearly, where I was in my closet praying for her, and all of a sudden, then that peace just came from God. You know, like I was crying, and then it was like, and then God just said, she's saved. And it was like, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. And I knew that I knew that she was coming back. And it took a couple years for that to happen, but she came back and got her heart right with the Lord, and and um, so sometimes that persistent prayer will break through those things. Now, the other thing about this is we're dealing with an enemy. You know, we have a battle that we're going on. And so sometimes when we're praying against the enemy, that's another area of this persistent prayer where we're trying to break through things. When Daniel saw this vision and he started to pray, um, after 21 days of fasting, the angel came to him and he said, you know, the first day you prayed, I heard you, but I had to fight through the prince of Persia to get down here. So there's sometimes some battles where you're fighting through demonic strongholds and trying to deal with different things. But that persistent prayer, what it does is it helps you to get into that place. It helps you to get into that place where you can get into God's courtroom. You see, sometimes if you're not getting into God's courtroom on certain things, you may not be able to get the breakthrough you need. Because in, you know, for example, Job. You read the story of Job, right? So here Job is, or here the story goes on by saying, when the angels of God came to present themselves 
before the Lord, Satan came in the midst of them. And I have a hard time with that for so many years because I'm very visual and I'm picturing God in his throne room and here comes the angels and Satan sneaks in there. And I'm like, Satan can't sneak in the throne room. It just can't happen. But, you know, it says right here that when the angels of God came to present themselves, Satan was there. So I was having a hard time trying to wrap my head around that. But God was showing me that there are courtrooms. That there wasn't necessarily a physical thing that was happening right there. But what it was is that Satan had access to be able to bring a certain case against Job. Because Job had been saying some things and he's been believing some things. And basically Job has been saying and thinking that if I don't keep making these sacrifices, my children are going to sin and then God's going to judge them. And so he was doing that in fear, and he was actually using his authority as a father to release some things over his children that were not good. And so it's very important as parents to watch what we say, because the devil's listening, and so is God. And if we speak faith, then God's word comes to pass. But if we give place to the devil, he jumps on that, gives him a legal case. Well... I have, uh, I have a case here. Your servant down there, he says that you're going to punish him. He's believing you're going to punish his children. Take everything away. And, you know, God didn't tell Job, or uh, God didn't tell Satan, okay, I'll give you what he has. He said to Satan, he said, behold, look, see, it's in your hand already. God didn't have to give it to him. There was already some type of a legal transfer that took place that allowed the devil to have access to do this against Job. And so he, you know, Job not understanding how to deal with this, fear took in. I remember when I was working a third shift job and I would get in the car at night and Jeannie was in the house with the little ones and, and I'm getting the car ready, warming it up, and I'm in my car on 42nd and Hampton and I'm praying over the house. And I'm, Lord, keep them safe. Lord, protect them. Don't let anything happen to them, Lord. Keep them healthy, you know. And then one night the Lord just said, are you praying in fear or are you praying in faith? I'm like, oh. See? I had to correct something. And uh, we got it into faith. And nothing bad ever happened. As a matter of fact, we, uh, we had an alley and we had a garage back there and uh, I it was needed a good paint job, and I spent all this time painting it. And then later that week, some vandals came through the area, and they spray-painted the garages, except mine. <laughs> so praise God for that. Uh, but in, uh, in James chapter 4, it says, you know, resist the devil, and he will flee, right? But before that, it says, submit ourselves to God. Then resist the devil, and he will flee. And so a lot of times people are trying to resist the devil, but they're not submitting to God. And the devil's saying like, you know what, you can say all you want about me leaving, but man, you've just been calling me in, speaking me in, allowing me to have access to this area, and so I'm not going anywhere because you open the door and let me in. And he can do that because legally, with our words, with our faith, 
We can open up the door for God, or we can open up the door for the devil. But you see, in this persistent prayer, in this persistent prayer, we, we go deeper with some of these areas. We start to get to the root of some of these areas. Like if you've been praying for something and it hasn't changed yet, then take a step back and say, okay, Holy Spirit, where have I not submitted to you in this area? Now, I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes you're just in a battle and you just keep being faithful and persistent and you'll break through. But sometimes you might find out, oh, I left the back door open. I better close that back door. Kick him out, close the back door, he can't come back in. So it talks about in there, James chapter 4, verse 7, when you're submitting to God, resisting the devil, then you're drawing near to God, then you're cleansing your heart, and God's doing a work. But within all that, the devil has to flee. So that persistent prayer takes you into those courtrooms, if you will, with God to find out where, where the enemy has access and then how to get him out how to get rid of him, how to change that attitude, how to change that, that negative perception, how to change or repent of the words that were spoken. Because God has given us a lot of authority. Now, when you look at this widow, for example, the widow was going to the judge not because she believed in the judge. The judge was, a, you know, back then... The way they had, the Romans had set up judges, they appointed them. Either Herod or the, or the Romans would appoint a judge in these different towns and cities. And these judges were, were to be there to take care of civil matters. And, you know, it's one thing if somebody would have came and, and did something that, you know, like if she had three goats and somebody came and took her goats. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But there was something going on where somebody was trying to take something that was rightfully hers or some privilege that she had. They were trying to take her away from that. And so she was pleading her case. So this was something where the judge had to hear, you know, hear the story and then make a decision. And she had to have evidence. She had to have proof. She had to say, okay, I've got, uh, you know, I got three goats and, uh, and I've been feeding them five gallons of grain uh, every week. But all of a sudden, now when I get my new grain of my new five gallon bucket of grain, by uh, the end of the week, by the middle of the week, it's gone. And then when I milk my goats, I'm not, uh, I'm getting half the amount of milk. Something's going on. And I did some checking, and I found out from the owner of the stable that there's a guy over in there that he's been buying less and less grain, and he's been selling more milk than he normally does. Okay? So you get his testimony, you write it down, you got your case, you're going before the judge, and the judge is like, <clears throat> do you want me to take that case or not? Because <laughs> that's how those judges worked, you know? You got you to give them a little bit of something under the table to, to get something in your favor. But <laughs> there was nothing under the table. She was a poor widow. But she kept going every day, every day, every day, every day. He's like, are we, are we going to be done today? No, 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 wait, judge, I got to go. You again. But she didn't go there. Because she believed in the judge. She went there because she believed in authority. She understood that that judge had somebody over him. That he wasn't the final authority. 
that there was another authority that was over this, and if that authority found out that this authority wasn't doing their job, he would be in trouble. Now, when you look at this verse, you look at it, and, and here's what Jesus said. He said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And so that kind of sparked me because it was like he wanted us to pay attention to that. And the judge said, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now why would God want us to pay attention to that? On the surface, you just think, well, maybe he's, you know, he gets annoyed. He's like, he finally had enough. Okay, she's not going to pay me a bribe, but i got to stop this woman from coming because she's every day, every day. And so I'm just going to take care of her case and be done with it to get her out of my hair. But that word weary means to give somebody a black eye. Now think about that. you got this widow. She's not going to step up to the judge's desk, pull out her fist, and hit him in the eye. Okay, that would <laughs> be over for her. She's not going to do that. But he's worried that she's going to give him a black eye. Well, in those days, they had a saying that if somebody was going to do something to really ruin your reputation, they gave you a black eye. So the judge got to a point where he realized, if I don't take care of this, if I, as a judge with authority, don't execute my authority in this situation, then there's an authority over me that may execute its authority, and I may lose my job and get punished. And she understood authority. So she believed in that authority. You know that authority, when you understand authority and how it works, it really does something to your faith. It really takes your faith to a greater level. You know, there was that centurion soldier, and he had, here he is a soldier, he has all these men, he's in control over 100 soldiers, he tells one to go, and they go, and one to do this, and they do that, and he understands how authority works, and not only does he understand it, but he uses it in the right way. The Bible says that he actually used that authority to build a synagogue for the Jews, He's already there, not for himself to get healed, but for one of his servants. Like, you know, servants are like disposable in some people's minds. But he cares about this person. He doesn't want them to, to die of this illness. So he's going out of his way, making it a point to try to get him healed. So he's a man with a good heart, but he understands authority. And so he goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you come and heal my servant? Will you heal my servant? I don't, I don't think he said come. He said, will you heal my servant? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll come. And then he said, but you don't have to come. All you got to do is speak the word. Because I understand authority. I'm a man under authority. I tell this one to go, and he goes. This one do, and he does. And you're a man under authority. And I recognize that you have an authority that's beyond this, beyond this natural realm. It's from the heavenlies. And all you have to do is speak the word only. And my servant will be healed. And so Jesus said, he looked at him. He was marveled. Like, like, like it almost, like, whoa, are you Jewish? No, he was a centurion. He says, I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. He, because that man understood authority. 
and he knew the power of Jesus' authority. And so for us, in this particular parable here, when we look at persistent and we look at prayer and we look at our prayer life, we have to understand that we're not operating in our own authority. If we are trying to pray things out of our own, just, you know, our own uh, feelings and emotions and energies, you know, um, it's good, it's sincere, it's honest. But, you know, Jesus, what, what amazes me about Jesus is I pray, I pray longer prayers for people to be healed than Jesus. You know that? Like when I pray for people to be healed, I'm just like praying everything I can think of, you know? And Jesus just said, raise your hand. Stretch your arm out. Go for a walk. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, well, where's the shundai and the Holy Ghost and the, the rubbing them and the massaging the head, messing the hairdo up? Where's all that, you know? He doesn't do all that. He just, because he understands that authority. And he can execute that authority. And what does the Bible say about us? The Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power. So the devil is under our feet. He said, I behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So we have this authority in us that we can execute. And what's kind of interesting, I kind of turned the tables on this parable, and I put myself in the judge's shoes, and I say, you know what? If I, as a person, under his authority, don't execute my authority, that's part of my responsibility, and the devil keeps coming after me, with all of his claims, and I don't do anything to stop it, I don't do anything to correct it, then I'm going to get a black eye. He's going to do something to me that's going to hinder me. And you know, when you think about God's heart, God will not let the devil's lies be the last word. He's not going to let that happen. He's, he is the God of the universe. He's the almighty God. He's the judge. He is not going to let the devil have the last word. It, it, it's not in him. He's not going to let it happen. He, his, his reputation is on the line. Who he is, everything he says he is, he will not lie. He will not falter. He will not back down on who he is and what he does. For he is the judge of all. And he will not allow that to have the last word. And so God will execute his authority. That's why Jesus said, God will avenge speedily. See, God's all set. He's locked, loaded, ready to go. And he's just waiting for us to figure out where the trigger is. He's prepared everything that we have need of. Before the Bible says that eye is not seen, ear is not hear, ear is not heard, the things that God has prepared for us before the foundation of the world. But He reveals them to us by His Spirit. And He wants to show us the things that He freely, freely gives us. Freely gives us. But what hinders that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what hinders that is, A, if they're not 
if they're walking and living after the natural, because the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit, and two, if they're not being spiritually discerned. So getting out of the natural, getting ourselves spiritually discerned is all part of that persistent prayer life. Because he says, watch and pray. Continue and pray. Stay in prayer. All of that. Why did he even tell them to fast? Here Jesus is eating and his disciples are eating and the Pharisees come to him and they say, how come your disciples don't fast? And he looks at him. He goes, "Well, when the when the groom and the you know when the bride is there, the groom doesn't fast. But when when the groom is taking away, then they will fast. Well, what does that do? That puts us in a place where now we're trying to get our senses tuned in to know exactly what we have, what's available, how to use it, how to operate it, how to work in it. And so that's where that persistent prayer." really helps us in our life to be able to walk in the things of God, to be able to shut down the adversary who's trying to take away. See, that adversary was trying to take things away. That woman had things. She owned things. She had privileges to things. And that adversary was trying to take a claim on that. You know, uh, Elijah, when he when he uh, prayed for no rain, uh, God's God fed him supernaturally at the brook, and then the brook dried up, and he said, I have commanded a a widow for you to feed you. Go there. He goes there. He tells the widow, what are you doing? Give me some water. Make me some food. She says, well, you know, I'd love to, but I only got one meal left. I'm going to eat it. Me and my son, we're going to die. Then he says, do what the Lord says, and watch and see what happens. So she does it. She feeds him, feeds him. Feeds them. Many days go by. They're having food every day. Everybody else is starving to death because it hasn't rained for three years. There's a drought in the land, and they're having a nice meal. And she just so happened to have a nice house with an extra room. So Elijah no longer had to sleep by the brook. I mean, you know, sleeping by the brook might be kind of fun for a you know one night getaway or something. But but I'd rather have a bed. I'd rather have a room. So here he's got, he's got a bed and breakfast going on, you know. Everything's good. And then the woman's son dies. Like, that could have gone bad real quick. Like, get out of here. You're bringing trouble to my home. Why did God let this happen? She got all into anger and upset. And what have I done? And how have I sinned? And all that started going on in her head. And she started speaking that to Elijah, and he actually got kind of caught up in it too. And so he said, give me your son. He took him up to the bedroom. He laid him on the bed. He prayed over him once, and he did not raise from the dead. He prayed over him again. He did not raise from the dead. But he knew. He knew the power, the authority of God. He knew that he heard the word of the Lord. He knew he was doing what God wanted him to do. So he prayed a third time. And the life came into that boy. And she could, he could bring him down and say, hey, we're all good. And he got to stay there a little longer. <laughs> Had a few more good meals. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So persistent prayer a lot of times is just the preparation for us to get aligned to get in the right place, to, to 
you know, get to the point where God can show us what he's doing, what he's done, what he's already done, what he's already provided, to get us into a place where we finally say, okay, I'm going to take authority over this. I'm going to break the enemy, enemy stronghold over here. I'm not going to let this hold me back any further. And then you press through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us grace to live in that persistent prayer life. Lord, I thank you that each person here, Lord, that has prayed many prayers to you, Lord, and, and Lord, you've heard each and every one of those prayers. And Lord, you've, you're working and answering those prayers. You're, you're, you're working behind the scenes. You're working on them. You're working on other people. You're, you're rearranging things. You're, you're changing seasons and times and, and trying to line all of this up with the billions, billions of people that are on this planet. And you're orchestrating individual things in our own personal lives and in everybody else's, and then getting it all to work together. Thank you, God, that you are a mighty God. Thank you, God, that you're working everything out. You're working it all out, and even when we get off track or make a mistake, but we just continue to seek you, Lord, you just find a way to work it all together for the good. So, Lord, we thank you that we're on track. We thank you, Lord, for the breakthrough. I pray, Father, right now in acceleration, acceleration to come in our prayer life for the answers of the things that we prayed for in the name of Jesus. Clarity and understanding. Clarity and understanding. Father, I thank you that the scales of our eyes are being removed. Thank you that you helped Lon with his eyes and you're healing Mike's eyes and Lord, heal anybody's eyes in here that uh, is believing for healed eyes, but remove any scales. But Father, I thank you that the spiritual eyes in our lives are being, in being the scales are being removed, that we're being able to see. The filters are being removed right now. The veil is being taken away right now. And that we'll be able to see the things that you've given to us, prepared for us, provided for us. A lot easier, a lot clearer. Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.